0: Morning. Uh, I'm Toby Harrell. I'm a part of the student ministry and the uh, blue shirts. And if you'd please stand while I read our scripture for the day. We're going to be reading Ephesians 5 uh, 8 through 14. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible by light, or is light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Amen. Thank you, Toby. I appreciate that. Um, hey, yeah, make sure your Bibles are open to Ephesians chapter five. I'm going to encourage you to uh bring a Bible. Uh one of the things that we talked about this last week, we were in a conference this last week and heard from lots of different speakers. It was the last together for the gospel conference, which is Louisville, Kentucky, to watch that and listen to that and hear from a lot of speakers that we admire and and pastors that we admire. And uh, one of the things that we talked about while we were there was we want you as a church family to know your Bibles, to use your Bibles, to open your Bibles. I know lots of you use Bibles on your devices, but either way, I want you to have uh, your Bible on your device or a Bible in hand whenever you come to to refuge gathering. I want you to be able to look at the words as we speak them. I know we put them on the screens, uh, but I want you to be able to see them uh, a regular on the regular on uh, as we as we continue to preach uh, from the text. So I'm going to go back and uh, I'm going to actually pick up in uh, verse uh, one uh, just to kind of ramp us into this because I think it's important for us to uh, to take a look and see what the text has to say. It was a couple of weeks ago. Last week was Easter. We took a one off, and so I want us to ramp into what Paul is talking about. Just as a reminder, because I think it's important. In today's text, so uh, look with me, if you will, in verse one. This is what the text says preceding our text today. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But, uh, but sexual immorality, uh, excuse me, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as it, as is proper among the saints that let there no be fil- let there let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving for you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience Therefore, do not become partakers with them. So that's what we preached from from two weeks ago. We call that a spacemaker sermon. Uh, And so uh, this uh, today's text picks up, uh, the text picks up today as Paul continues his thoughts and uh, we'll pick it up in verse eight. And this is what he says. So because of all that, for at one time you were in darkness. That's half the verse. And let me just start right there and allow me to walk with you through this. Paul has already reminded the church at Ephesus and us today what our former state was, what it was like before we became Christians, before you were part of the household of faith. Remember, Paul is writing this to the church, those who follow Jesus, those who have turned from following their own way and who have repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. And this message will be to be to you at refuge who have done the same, and those who you who want to do the same. But th- think about this. He's writing to the church, and so he is writing to Christians. Allow me to remind you of an earlier similarity in this letter. Uh, the first three chapters, if you remember us talking about this, the first three chapters of Ephesians are theological, and he is laying a foundation of theology, and this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be born again. And then the last three chapters of Ephesians are because the first three chapters are true, or if they're true about you, then this is the way you should live, okay? That's the way Paul lays out this letter to the church at Ephesus. But allow me uh, to go back in the beginning of the letter and walk you through that. So I'll encourage you to follow along with me. Turn back to chapter 2, uh, back to chapter 2 in Ephesians, And I'll remind you of what he said and what he did and what he was reminding the church at Ephesus about as we ramp into what we're going to talk about today. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, and you were what? Dead. Dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of the world. Now, before I go there, he's going to use a lot of metaphorical terminology, but he is very specific when he's writing to the church at Ephesus that we are dead in our sins. I mean, dead, dead men can't respond, dead people can't do anything. We are just there, and that's where we are, and we have no response to the gospel outside of God intervening on our part. We'll see that as he writes that in verse two. You are following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Again, he's writing to the church. We all once lived this way in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, just by the fact of being born, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See that picture? Dead in your sins, under the wrath of God, outside the household of faith, and we had no hope outside on our own. See what he's saying? Tracking with me there? Nod your head like this. Okay, good. Then skip to verse 11. Here's what he says again. Therefore, remember, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, the majority of you, I would say, are Gentiles. We are non-Jews. We Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So the circumcision party was the Jews. We are the uncircumcised party. That's the Gentiles, which is made in flesh by hands. Number verse twelve. Remember that you were at one time separated. Circle that word. Underline it. Highlight. You were separated. Say separated separated from Christ, alienated, say alienated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers, say strangers, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, say no hope, and were without God in the world. Say without God. God. Without God in the world. So a bleak picture that Paul paints. Amen? So welcome back from Easter. Uh, There you Uh, go. That's the picture that Paul painted to the church at Ephesus in the beginning of chapter 2. And so both of those sections are, are uh, followed very closely behind with two glorious words that we love here at Refuge. What are they? But God, right? Those are the two things. And look what it says in chapter 2, verse 4. But God, if you haven't circled if you've been at Refuge longer, enough. I'm sure you've circled that, underlined it, highlighted it, whatever you do in your Bible. And if you haven't, do that right now. But God, this is a turning point in Paul's letter and what he's, in the, in the theological things that he's teaching us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead, circled dead, in our trespasses, look, and underline this, made us alive. You see what's happened there? The but God, in that first part of verse 4, equals has made us alive in verse 5. That's what God was doing whenever it says but God. He was changing our dead state into making us alive. That's what Paul says. He made us alive together with Christ. And here's where it says, By grace you have been saved. This is all the gracious act of God. You have been saved and raised up with him and seated with us in him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that at the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And what? This is not your own doing. You didn't do any of this. You didn't have any, only thing that you brought to salvation was the sin which needed you to be saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, look, you who were once far off, remember, far off is back there. You, you who were once far off is back there by the drum set. You who were once far off have been brought near to the blood of cross By the blood of Christ. Far, near. Remember that? I'm not doing it because it runs me out of breath. Far, near, far, and near. Remember? That's, what we, that's the example that we use from Sesame Street. Um, verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And, and look, first 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. You know what he said? He's like, we're putting that aside. We're abolishing the law that is expressed in ordinances because that he might create himself one man in place of the two. There's no longer Jews and Gentiles. We're not some people are following the law and some people are not following the law. We are one man. We're abolishing all that because Jesus has fulfilled it all. And the, the church said, amen, come on. That is good, good news. Uh, Verse 16, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Now, again, Paul reminds his readers of that same truth just with a different metaphor. Look what he says. For at one time you were in darkness. Okay? You were in darkness. Darkness, so he's talking about you were dead in your sins, you were alienated from your sins, but you were once in darkness. So we're going to do something right now, and I need everybody to participate, even those who think that you, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to you right now. So if you hear my voice, I am talking to you. Everybody got it? Anybody think I'm not talking to them? All right, I'm talking to you. I'm, you're talking to me, I'm talking to you. Uh, uh, think about darkness with me for a second. So close your eyes and keep them closed until I tell you to open them close your eyes and listen some of you do this regularly <laughs> if i ask you right now keep your eyes closed if i ask you right now to get up and find your way to the door without with your eyes closed how difficult would that be And then if I then said, I need you to keep your eyes closed and go into the kids' room and grab your child's hand and lead them out the door that you came in with your eyes closed, how difficult would that be? Keep your eyes closed. And then if I said, you must drive home with your eyes closed, how impossible would that be? Keep your eyes closed. I'm talking to you peekers. It would be impossible. Keep your eyes closed. Impossible on your own. Unable to find your way. Unable to even choose your own child out of the nursery. Unable to maybe even get started along this venture. This is Paul's metaphor in verse 8. Keep your eyes closed. At one time, he says, Christ followers in Ephesus, Christ followers at refuge, you were in darkness. And I'll echo that same statement that Paul made. At some time, at one time, some of you here today were in spiritual darkness, and some of you here today are still in spiritual darkness, unable to find your way. Unable to choose your own way, unable to get started on your own, you are in spiritual darkness. And your only hope is the light. Now open your eyes. Jesus said this in John chapter 8 verse 12. "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of of light. The light of life. If I took a candle into a dark room, it would dispel the darkness. The light pushes out the darkness. And so likewise, the light of Jesus has come to be taken into the darkness, into our dark world, into the darkness of sin that so engulfs our hearts and engulfs our lives, those of you who are not following him. This is the condition that we're in and why we need the light, why we need to follow Jesus. This truth is very simple and very sobering and a very serious truth. Listen to what he's saying. If you don't follow Jesus, you do not have the light. If you do not follow Jesus, you do not have the light of life. And that light of life is eternal life. And it's a very simple thing. Are you living in darkness of your sin and need the light of Jesus to rescue you? Are you separated from Jesus? Are you alienated from Jesus? No hope without God. That's some of you here today. You live in the darkness. Then Paul goes on and he says, but some of you do not walk in darkness. Look what he says in the rest of verse 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He says, and that but is just, is, is the middle, is that thing that we need to see. We were in darkness, but now you are the light of the world. Walk as children of light. Reminds us of another statement in the Bible. I once was lost, what? And now I'm found. There's an old song that goes, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me. Know that one? Yeah, that's the same. That's what you're declaring whenever you sing that type of song. We don't sing that one here, but that's when we used to sing in my old church. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead in my sins, but God, being rich in mercy, has made me alive in Christ Jesus. You were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. That's what Paul is teaching us here. Look, I brought a light bulb up here. Now, if I have a light bulb and keep it in its packaging, is it any good to me? If I try to, if I lay this light bulb on the table, is it any good to me? If I put it in the, in the, into the, uh, uh, where we're going to take communion, is that good? No, of course not. If I were to um, have a flashlight, but I had no batteries in it, and the power goes out, is the flashlight any good to me? No, of course not. How many of you have those in your house? Yes, we have lots of those. If I have a fully wired home, but there's no electricity that is coming to my house, and I flip on the light switch, is it any good to me when the darkness comes? No, because I will still not be able to see. In the same way, look, this is what Paul is saying. You're in the same body that you've always been in, the same name, the same flesh, same color eyes, the same skill sets that you've always had. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are no longer in darkness. You have been connected to Jesus. And if you're not in Jesus, you have no connection. There is no light in you. But if you do, you have the Spirit of God that lives within you. You are trusting in the light of the world, Jesus, to secure your salvation. You name the name of Jesus. You are his, and he is yours. That's what Paul is making this point here in verse 8. Paul says, if this is true, and it is, then we should walk as children of light. In other words, live like your salvation makes a difference. We say that a lot here. But that's what Paul is content. If Paul says it a lot, I'm going to say it a lot. We read it in the scriptures a lot. I'm going to try to say it a lot because it's very important. Live like your salvation makes a difference. A difference to you and a difference to the, to the people around you. Whenever we baptized some people uh, last week at refuge, we gave them a sign, that little wooden sign. You remember what it says? Live differently. live differently, yes. It says live differently because as followers of Jesus, that's what we're called to do to live differently. If the Spirit of God lives in me, if the Spirit of God lives in you, then we can't help but be different. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again for your own edification. If you think that you're a Christian, you've you've done the thing, you've walked, talked to the pastor, you've prayed, you've been baptized multiple times, whatever the thing is, baptized, christened, dedicated, whatever the thing you've done, but there's nothing different in your life, then you're probably not a Christian. The Spirit of God can't live in me and something not be different about me. The Spirit of God can't live in you and something not be different about you. All of us. I don't care what your mama told you. I don't care what your religious background has told you. But if the Spirit of God lives in you, you have to be different. You've been made alive in Christ. Something's got to be different about us when we live that way. Think about what Paul says here. He says, the fruit of light. So uh, the things that are beneficial, the things that are life-giving, the things that are... Oh, no, this is verse 9. Look, he goes on to say, he he parenthetically reminds us of this. He says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So, So think about this. He says, the fruit of light, the things that are beneficial... Uh, the things that are life-giving, the things that are helpful are found all, say all, all, all that is good and right and true. The fruit of what it should look like is found in all that is good and right and true. Now, who always does what is good and right and true? Yeah, none of us. Not you, Jody, and not me. Uh, <laughs> Jody raised his hand. Uh, <laughs> That is untrue. That is not the truth. That is See, that's not good and right and true. So, uh, so you've blown it there. <laughs> only God, only Jesus, only the Holy Spirit, our Trinitarian God always does what is good and right and true. And what is the fruit of that light or the fruit of the Spirit of God living within us? We know what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, all these are fruit, that is the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes the fruit of the Spirit gets tested from time to time. And and so we have to trust the Spirit to help us in in our times that we get tempted. And so Spirit, help me to to react and act in a certain way that that I need to. These are the fruit of the Spirit. They should ooze out of you. There's a good word for you. That's the word of the day, ooze out of you. Does 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 the fruit of the Spirit just kind of overflow and come out of you? That's what it should look like in our lives whenever the Spirit of God lives within us. And so if we are children of the light, as Paul writes in this metaphorical way, if we are children of the light, he says that we're to walk in that light. Our lives will be an outpouring of that light to others. It will be, our lives will be beneficial. Our lives will be life-giving. Our lives will be helpful to others. Does that describe your life? Is your life beneficial and life-giving and helpful to other people around you? Would others say that same thing about you? Man, when I'm around this cat, I mean, he's just life-giving. When I'm around this lady, she is just, this is a beneficial relationship to me because she is is beneficial to me. I can tell that she wants good for me. Can that be said about your life? Well, preacher, how do I know what those things are? The apostle Paul thought you might ask that question, and he answers it in verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It's very simple to ask yourself this question. Is what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say or what I'm about to post or how I'm about to react, is this pleasing to the Lord? Is this pleasing to the Lord? That's what Paul said. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Paul says it really is that simple. One of my greatest fears is that we've become so callous so sin. You know what a callus is? Some of us don't know what those are because we don't really work hard with our hands. You know what, what is a callus? It's a thickening of your skin. It's a thickening of your skin where you've done something repetitive and your skin has gotten thicker there, so it doesn't damage the skin, and so it becomes thick because it's used over used over and over again. Some of us have become so callous to sin that we've become so close to it, and we've engaged in, in it so much, we've become so callous to it, is it doesn't hurt, it doesn't make us bleed, we don't feel it anymore, and so we can continue on in that sin, and it doesn't even affect us. we become callous to sin. We've become callous to its effects And we blow by many of these scriptural commands that we see in the scriptures and just kind of bunch them all up. And sometimes at the end of a day or the end of three days and we haven't prayed in a while and go, oh yeah, God, will you just forgive me of all my sins? Okay. Uh, Because I know I've done a bunch of them. and, uh, and, And so will you just forgive me? And then we just go back to doing them again. Now, we do believe that Jesus forgives us of our sins. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The truth is whenever we become a Christian that Jesus pays for all of our sin debt. We can't continue on in sin where it's become a callous thing to us, a callous action to us that doesn't even affect us. Paul reminds us of this in his Romans masterpiece. He says, do we sin more so that grace will abound more? What does he say? By no means. Do we sin more that grace will abound more? He's like, no, we, that's not, you're missing the point, people. That's what he says to the church at Rome. You're missing the point if you think you just sin more so that grace will abound even more. If sinning all that you want to sin and just throwing up a prayer to God, if this is your M.O., I'll say it needs to be your N.O. You can write that down. If that's your M.O., then it needs to be your N.O. That's not the way this is supposed to be. Thinking that way is literally the antithesis of the gospel. It is the opposite, the very opposite of what God calls us to in the scriptures. It's dragging your salvation through the muck and the mire of our own sin. And it's a tragic misunderstanding of the grace of Jesus that he offers to us sinners. Do we sin more that grace will abound more? Yes or no? No, of course not. We're called to walk as children of life. That's what Paul writes here. We want to do what is good and right and true. We want to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord and live that way. Here's an example that lives a little closer to home. Most of you know, I'm awaiting a kidney transplant. And, and hopefully, just FYI, we're targeting August. Amen. That's August. Pretty happy about that. Everybody's happy. Mostly me. Uh, and, and when, and I know that, I know it's true. And, and when I get this tra- transplant, how tragic would it be if, um, if the lifestyle that I choose to live is contrary to nurturing the new kidney that I get? I mean, contrary to go, okay. You're killing the donation of a kidney that you got. What would you say to me? You would probably look at me and go, Scott, you're an idiot. (laughs) I have friends that say that to me very often. (laughs) Scott, you are an idiot. Scott, how can you disregard the sacrifice that someone has made for you? Scott, do you not care enough to live differently now? Scott, what gives, bro? I know all of you well enough that you would say that to me. Amen? You better. So much more, say much more, much more, Paul instructs us, and, and I'm heralding that same call that Paul says if you're involved in some ongoing sin that some ongoing sin that we're hoping and counting on our eternal life, when we've been granted eternal life, I mean, much more so, I want to say, brother, what are you doing? I want to say, sister, how can you disregard the gift that's been given to you? I want to say, my friend, do you not care enough to live differently now? I want to say, yo, what gives, bro? This calling is for each of you, for each of us, Christian follower of Jesus, to walk as children of the light, to try and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then Paul gives the church some additional insight. He says, this is what I'm talking about. Look what he says in verse 11. Take no part, say no part. No "No part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now I would encourage you again to underline or highlight that command. What are these unfruitful works of darkness? Take no part in them. I believe Paul is referring to what he's already talked about in this particular part of his letter to the church at Ephesus. Look with me back in verse 3. This is what he says, "...but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk." Or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, I'm not going to go back and explain all that again, because I've done that in a previous sermon. And honestly, it's just pretty straightforward. There's not a whole lot of explanation that needs to be done with that part of the text. The main crux of this, though, is found in verses 5 and 6. Look what it says. People who practice these things have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. If this is the life that you live, and this is what you practice, Paul says... I'm telling you that you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He says this, but because of these things, because of the things that he just listed, that I just read, because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Do not become partakers with them. He's like, church, don't get involved in that. Don't let that be what's said of you. Don't let that be the life that you live. Do not be partakers with them. But he says, on the contrary, look in verse 11, take no part, underline that, circle that, so, no part in the unfruitful works of dar- and darkness, but instead expose them. Ooh, he ain't playing. Again, these kinds of besetting and ongoing sins in the church, named among God's people, must not, and I believe Paul is declaring Cannot continue without being exposed. Yes, exposed. Well, preacher, that's a little strong, don't you think? I mean, live and let live. To each his own. Mind your own business. Don't be a nosy-rosy. Snitches get stitches. Is that where you want to land? Is that where you land sometimes? Well, none of those statements are in the scriptures. Honestly, it's the antithesis. Kids, that means opposite. It's the opposite. It's the antithesis of what it looks like to follow Jesus. I mean, can you imagine Jesus coming, Jesus' disciples coming to him and just sharing with him Uh, uh, something about another disciple and uh, that maybe he's out of line. You know, we read that sometimes in the Scripture. Can you imagine one of the disciples coming and saying that to Jesus and Jesus looking over at the disciple and going, Snitches get stitches. (laughs) Of course not. He would never say that. Or can you imagine this one? Remember the woman caught in adultery? Remember that story? The woman caught in adultery... And instead of telling her to go and sin no more, remember, he, he ministers to her, and, and, and he, he doesn't just let her off and go, well, you know, go and do your thing. Uh, he, he, he ministers to her. But, I mean, can you imagine him after that go, I mean, to each his own, go do what you do, girl. Mm-hmm. Of course not. Jesus never said, go on and continue in your sin. Go on and just keep doing your thing. I mean, you're forgiven and all, but just going back to what you were doing. He never did that, ever did that. So why is it different for us? Why do we respond differently today? Paul says, take no part. Say no part. No part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Why do we expose them in the context of writing to this church? Why would he say that in writing to this church? I'll tell you why. Because the unfruitful works of darkness are evil. The unfruitful works of darkness that he wrote about that I just read in the beginning of this chapter, the unfruitful works of darkness are evil and evil has no part, say no part, no part in God's people. Evil has no part in God's people. Now, if you know someone that claims to be a follower of Jesus, and any of these behaviors that we just read about in chapter 5 are part of their life, it's time for us or you to begin the steps of church discipline. Oh, that makes me nervous, preacher. Well, that's the loving thing for us to do with one another. What are the steps of church discipline? I'll tell you what they are. We find them in Matthew's gospel. He says... If a brother sins against you, or a brother, and I'll even take it a little bit further, if a brother has sin in his life specifically, but the, Matthew says, if he sins against you, you go to that brother and you say, hey, you've sinned against me. Or I, again, I'm going to take it a little bit further because sometimes that sin may not be against you. It may just be in general, like an ongoing besetting sin. You go to that brother and say, hey, man, what are you doing? Man, this is outside that. This is what. This is not what a... Christian looks like why are you why are you doing it why are you involved in that? Scripture says if he repents then that thing dies right there. But he says if not then you go back and you take a brother or two with you and say hey we've come to because we love you enough to ask you to stop doing that thing that you're a part of. We need you to repent. And, And that's not a gang up on somebody. That's that's me going back to that brother with two other brothers with me just to watch and make sure this is happening the way it's supposed to happen. It's not a ganging up situation. And the scripture says, if he repents, then you've gained a brother. And it dies right there with those four people. But it says, even if the brother is unwilling to repent, then you go and tell the church, you bring it to one of your pastors and go, this brother is living in just an open, unrepentant sin. And it brings to the church. And then the church gets involved. And we pastors go to that person, along with these other brothers, and say, Please repent for what it is that you're doing. Turn away from the sin that you're doing. It's crushing you. It's defeating you. It, it's got a stronghold on you, brother. Please, let's turn from that. The scripture says if you've won him over, then you have won a brother over. But if he's still unrepentant, he says, you come and you tell the church that this part, our brother is unrepentant. He's unwilling to turn from his sin, and we treat this brother like an unbeliever. Clearly, the Spirit of God doesn't live within our brother because he's unwilling to turn from his sin. And it's up to the church to urge, to urge him to repent. Our, our conversations become with that brother, not, hey, let's go to the Grizzlies game. The conversations with that brother comes, bro, please repent. Please return from your wicked ways. Turn away from those types of, li- that lifestyle. Turn from that. That's what we're called to do. Why? For their good. For their good. How... How terrible it would it be for us to love a brother enough to let them continue on in their sin and go, ah, oh, go on, that's good. Turn a blind eye to their sin. That's not what Jesus calls us to. We want to keep the name of Jesus lifted high instead of dragging it through the dirt. And there's a final statement around this idea for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Paul goes on with the same thought and he says, uh, these unfruitful ways of the flesh that he's describing here, the ways of the unregenerate, the ways of the lost, especially things done in secret, he said. You know those secret things that get done? And look at what the text says. It is shameful to even speak of these things. And Paul doesn't go into a list. He's listed that out in the beginning of the chapter. But he even goes a little bit further. I said, like, man, there's some things that I'm not even going to write down, but you know what they are. And honestly, some of you are probably even thinking about them right now. Those shameful things that can't even be spoken of, or it is shameful to even speak the things that they do in secret. He says, these things are off off the chain. I'm I'm not even going to talk about these. They're so bad. But you know what they are. These things are not fodder for your conversations, church. These aren't times that you get around your dinner table and bring up the things about our brothers and sisters. That's not what that's for. They're not for poking fun, and they're not for marginalizing people who have been caught up and are enslaved to some type of sin. Instead, our sin and the sins of our brothers and sisters are to be grieved over. Grieved over. And for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are Christians, it's it's incumbent upon us to care about one another enough that we would engage them in, the, in, in either church discipline or in the following way of what Paul says. Look what he says in 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall shine, shall shine will shine on you. If someone chooses to come to you and talk to you about the sin that is in your life, that's taken quite the nerve to come and do that. They've gone through a long process of going, oh man, I don't know if I can go talk to this person or not. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how they're going to receive this. I don't know if we're still going to be friends or not. I don't know how they're going to say this or are they're going to do, how they're going to react. They're never going to come back to church. Are they ever going to be my friend again. I'm not sure what they're going to do. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do this right, but I'm going to say the right words. Am i going to do the right, all that, you know what I'm talking about? All that stuff. Th- that person, if they ever come to you, they've gone through that whole iteration of this to finally get to you and to say, hey sister, this is." unbecoming of a christian and more than likely it's motivated by love for you and that's certainly our hope that it's motivated by love because look at how paul writes this 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 verse here in chapter in chapter five if exposed to the light it becomes visible it becomes visible then it is light so if it is light that means it's illuminated that means it's to be able to be seen now whatever that thing is is able to be seen And Paul says, listen church at Ephesus, listen church at Refuge, the best way to expose sin and give hope or remedy to sin is to expose people to the light of the world, and that's Jesus. The best way to go, let me tell you a better way. This sin that you're exposing yourself to, this sin that you have gotten yourself all up to your neck deep in, there's a better way and his name is Jesus. There's a better way to repent of that sin, to have that sin forgiven, to have that yoke removed from around your neck, to have that weight lifted from you. There's a better way. His name is Jesus, the only hope of anyone who is caught up in some type of secret sin. Listen, sir, the only way for your hope that's caught up in that secret sin, ma'am, that secret sin that you think nobody knows about, the only way to uh, for only hope for you that if you're caught up in secret sin, that shameful sin or that that sinister sin, the only hope is the light of the world. The only hope is the light of the world. Your hope, if you're a person that I'm speaking to today, your hope is this, awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Your hope, in that sin, to overcome that sin is the resurrected Jesus. He takes those sins that we get so easily entangled in and nails them to the cross of Calvary. He takes those sins. It was, it was there at Calvary where Jesus poured out his blood to cover your sin debt and set you free from the bondage of that sin that you've gotten yourself so entangled in. It was at the cross where Jesus put to death the sin that so easily besets us and entangles us. And it was at the cross where Jesus literally took to the grave those sins that are rolling through your mind right now. So much sin. So much mess. So much searching. So much doubt. So much temptation. So much failure so much trying harder and harder and harder to overcome that sin. It's for this that Jesus offers grace upon grace upon grace. It was Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who are burdened and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Rest for your weary soul. Rest from your sinful ways. Rest from your hiding game. For all of you who are in spiritual darkness today, this is for you. Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Today, those of you who are caught up in that sin, we invite you to come to Jesus. We invite you to bring that sin to Him and just lay it down and go, I'm at the end of my rope. I've got to have some relief. My only hope is the God of the universe to forgive me. And Jesus will forgive you. There is hope found in Jesus. Repent of that sin. Turn from that sin today. Believe the gospel that Jesus is your only hope. Let me pray for you.